Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. First up, let's take a look at the stories that are making an impact uh, on the business pages and indeed online. Joining me this morning are Joan Mulville, who is the digitalisation lead at Siemens. And I'm also joined by Lorcan Allen, who's the business editor with the Sunday Post. Good morning to you both. Morning, Bobby. Bobby. Uh, Lorcan, uh, the front page of the Irish Mail tells us uh, that the revenue are to take over the collection of rates, um, basically an up, uh, basically a whole new system proposed here around rates, which I think is probably long overdue. Can you maybe give us a high level of what the government is doing here uh, in terms of this new way of collecting revenue? Yeah, an interesting story, Bobby, by Brian Martin in, in uh, the Daily Mail today about, yeah, this overhaul of, of the rate system in Ireland. So, you know, the way it's been done up to now is that businesses would be issued a bill every year by the County Council for rates. Um, but the collection rate, I suppose, of that is fairly hit and miss. Uh, yeah. and, and some councils are better at it than others. And, you know, um, and rates are the main revenue source for county councils. So it's a very important part of there. What the government are proposing here is that they're going to completely change this and that the rate collections will be done by revenue. Uh, which, of course, as we know, has far the, greater... The best people to collect money. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Really good powers to do it. And they'll do it based on the value of sites uh, in towns and, and, and the data they have. And you would imagine, you know, the analysis that they've done in government suggests that there will be a fairly significant increase in the amount of money they collect. But what is interesting is that there is no suggestion that any extra money that is collected would necessarily go to to the councils. Yeah. The government is almost signalling we will pocket the extra money. Well, as, as as I understand it, the key difference here is that the the liability of the tax remains with the property owner rather than the tenant. So any any. Uh, rates or well what property tax uh, what are they calling it it's uh, site, uh, site, value, site tax. value tax will probably be built into the rent but ultimately it means that if it's not paid they go after the landlord rather than the, the tenant and that'll make a big difference in terms of i think occupancy rates i think you'll find that landlords will be less likely to leave properties uh, unoccupied. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think this is long overdue, personally, Joan. I, I don't know what you think. I think that's the thing. They're trying to incentivise. Uh, I, I see it myself in my own town. You know, you don't want empty buildings when you're walking down the main street. It's going to incentivise those landlords to put somebody in it uh, rather than no one. And as I say, as long as they don't pass on all of that cost maybe to their occupants, because what they're saying too is it's an opportunity rather to have somebody in it rather than no one in it they're referenced here cultural and arts groups as well it's just not to have derelict properties but I do think it's it's also going to be as successful or not depending on you know what's going on in the economy people are not going to set up businesses suddenly because there's places for rent you know it's suddenly not going to be a surge in demand for someone wanting to set up a new news agents or a new beauticians if there isn't the demand in the town there isn't the demand in the town so you can want landlords to put tenants in but that doesn't necessarily yeah. mean that <clears throat> tenants are ne- looking for spaces Also I would hope that you know, that this is really a displacement of one tax or a replacement with another. In other words, I now don't pay pay rates, but I pay this uh, site value tax instead. So it shouldn't be an additional cost to business. No, but but it's it's more, I say, who's where the pressure is being applied and you mm-hmm. say it's being applied on the landlords. It, it, it will probably make a lot of property owners... Uh, 
to have to make decisions if they don't have tenants in place or if yeah. they, yeah. I, I think that's what it will do yeah. I think as well The other people who aren't going to like it and I think you mentioned it earlier Lachlan are the councils uh, Yeah I, I think so Because any new tax is likely to be opposed by councils as they would lose one of their fuel real revenue raising powers Exactly and if you look at the Irish system of <coughs> government um, you know it's a very centralised system like a lot of the power is in the central government here in Ireland and they're very slow to give any sort of autonomy to the local county councils and this is yet another example of them taking a little bit more power from the county council and bringing it into central government sort of a function Um uh, yeah, so I mean, you're you're absolutely well, right. I think county councillors will be saying, you know, this is again taking our. And that mightn't be in the best interest of the the towns that Joan refers to there, if if it is centralised, because you know at least the councils have a vested interest in their own and they're on the in their own geography. They know, they know what's happening will, in their own town. They will all. They will all inevitably have to apply for funding if they've lost their source of revenue you can only assume then that that revenue then will meet out in their budget this is what we're going to give to county councils but it's this idea that county councils are then going to have to put business plans nearly together every year to say this is how much money we want or entitled to because you've taken it from us and they know their towns best and as Bobby said acting in their best interest so it does seem as you say centralising again further power and a cuckolding of the county councils Yeah um, Larkin staying with the Irish Daily Mail, uh, Sarah Slater tells us that loan arrears have spiked as ECB raises rates for the eighth time this year. Hmm. Um, like this is this is a it uh, you know this is something that keeps. I I thought there might have been some slowdown now, but and there's even a couple of more rate increases forecast. So this is very very painful for lots of people. Um, who are borrowers and who are trying to repay mortgages. Yeah, absolutely. And I I, I think they're they're very cautious, obviously, on how they signal this. But my sense of it is that they're, you know, by the end of the the summer, maybe I think we might get noises from the ECB that they're going to slow down because there's signs there now that inflation is slowing. So there could be, you know, the end of this on the horizon. But there's no doubt, like, I mean, um, mortgage uh, holders in particular have had, you know, very rapid increase in rates over this time. And it's it's no surprise to see the arrears number picking up. Now, it is small still in an overall context, like the Irish economy is very healthy and, and everything 6% of, of all mortgages are in arrears of overnight today. It's just under 30,000 mortgage holders. So, I mean, you know, it's going up. It's yeah. a number to watch, certainly. And I'm sure, you know, the central bank is watching it as well, because, I mean, it's when people start getting into arrears and defaults that that's where in problems, as we know, occur. Um, but like, I mean, you know, it, it, it's no surprise that as interest rates, it puts pressure on people's cash flow and it makes them make decisions about where they spend their money on things like that. And they're also been hit, not just in their mortgage payments, but right across the things yeah. that they spend their money on. So this is Look, it's a blunt instrument. Instrument um, interest rates. It's what it's designed to do. It's designed to slow down consumption in the economy, and they're going to keep rising until things start to slow. So yeah, that's your own thoughts on this, Joan. We are starting to see some uh, slowdown on inflation, but it's still rising. Exactly, and I think it's the number is twenty nine thousand two hundred ninety four. They're the people you worry about right now. They're in arrears over ninety days, and if it's, it is a relatively small number, but as you say, if you're one of those, it's it's a huge weight on their mind. So I think the final part paragraph is the advice is the most important message is not to ignore the situation and engage either with the lender or MABS, um, because it's the only way. I mean, putting 
head in sand while you're under that kind of pressure is the worst possible thing you could do. Yeah. So to, to reach out to, to Mabs and get as much support as you can, it is there. doesn't make things go away. Okay, speaking of going away, Ulster Bank has left our market, uh, but they are paying eight hundred million uh, to Nat, to NatWest as they exit Larkin. Um, this this is an interesting story because we've got this dividend payment now, but we also have analysis of the Ulster Bank uh, going back over the years and the cost to the taxpayer. Yeah, so the like the, the cost of the taxpayer would have the British taxpayer would have pumped fifteen billion pounds into into Ulster Bank Group or Royal Bank of Scotland at the time to bail Still it out. Still less than we put in. Less than we put in, but um, you know, it's it's UK taxpayer money over there. Um, and as the you know the kind of the analysis piece makes it, you know, some of the dividends that Ulster Bank Ireland has paid back over the years to um to, to back to NatWest or you know for, for as part of the bailout, it's still well short of what the what the taxpayer yeah. put in over there. So you know they're not getting their money back. Certainly, um, interestingly, yeah, eight hundred million of excess kind of capital that's in the Ulster Bank entity that's been wound up here in Ireland has gone back, and they expect another one point eight billion will be paid over to the to the the UK uh, group by the time you know Ulster Bank exits the market and. I suppose it's not surprising given that like banks here have to hold so much capital in in reserve under the rules that we have in Ireland that um there was always going to be a lot of cash in the in in the entity as it was being wound up and and leaving the market. Uh Joan the Irish consumer is the loser here. Uh the winner seems to be PTSB which now has a balance sheet size and access to the business banking market that gives it a chance of taking on AIB and Bank of Ireland in a meaningful sense, uh, so says Cantillon in today's Irish Times. Yeah, I think that's the thing. It's it's the impact all these things have on competitiveness in the Irish market for for borrowers or for for customers in general. And and I think that's the big issue for me. Uh, to Lorcan's point there as well, it is um, the strategy of the banks that I think is interesting. It's this idea that it's just too much hassle to work to maintain an Irish business, an Irish subsidiary because and too of small a market, too small a market, mm. and it's and it's a less competitive market. So it becomes self fulfilling, and it's really hard then on the consumer. You don't have the market is small. It's less competitive because we've less people in it. The regulations have to be there. Um, obviously for the liquidity so we don't have things like that happened in 2008 but it becomes a kind of a self-fulfilling thing yeah. and again the consumer loses but if you look at the, like the, the corporate banking world in Ireland um, nearly every international bank in Ireland is here has a presence in the corporate market here from yeah. the Wells Fargo's to the Banks of America your average consumer doesn't realise that because they're not trying to sell them products because yeah. it's an attractive market on that front of course the rules make the consumer market very unattractive and why yeah. all the international guys have left um, staying with the matters of, of, of finance, we see, we talked about inflation earlier. Uh, Tesco's sales up in the first quarter as cost pressures ease. Tesco reporting strong growth across Irish market as profit reaches 2.7 billion, we're told by the Irish Examiner. Interesting with Tesco that they don't really break out Irish sales, certainly from a profitability point of view. So it's often hard to read the numbers here in this market, Larkin. 
It, it can be, yeah. And uh, anecdotally, what I always heard about Tesco, like, as it straddles both geographies, that like UK is an ultra competitive market over there, sixty million people, very very competitive grocery market. Ireland actually was seen as a bit more. Um, there was a bit more room for margin in Ireland, apparently. So, which is one of the reasons that they didn't break it out, perhaps. Uh, how much profit margin they make on their sales here? Um, but I mean, look, the numbers are very strong from them in terms of top line sales growth. I actually think that's such an indicator of where the inflation in food has been. Well, I was wondering how much of that sales growth is actually inflation. Well, if you think this time last year we were still in lockdown for the first quarter, um, people were shopping big, you know, the big baskets groceries were so volume was yeah. big last year. I'd say Tesco's volumes are down, but their top line revenue is up just because of the price of goods. Yeah. It has to be, and and because people are out and about again, it's back to normal. So their volumes are going back to what they were pre-COVID. But their sales are up because of the inflation in, in products. Yeah, and it has to be a huge part terrible. of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Joan, um, your own thoughts on this piece around Tesco? Oh, exactly. I mean, we were just saying it. There's so many different numbers here. You're just reading through statistics of 7.3% up this year, but 9.4% in the food business in Ireland. But they did acquire five new stores. So um, some of that growth then as well is through acquisition through the Joyce's stores in Galway as well. So again, you have to read that into it and say that factors into the number, which is not One real One of the things I noticed in the very last paragraph was that Tesco, whose shares have risen 18% so far this year, uh, has said that it expects prices to rise in 2023 overall, but with the rate, rate of inflation is actually declining. But they talk about the club card prices. I don't know if you've noticed, but if you go to Tesco now and you don't have a club card, you are at a huge disadvantage. In other words, there are big, big savings. And it seems to be following the American loyalty market that you mm-hmm. see in Winn-Dixie and uh, Walmart and these places. Yeah, it's to it's to eliminate switching and I think consumers, particularly during inflationary times, are much more likely to shop around yeah. and they want to own that basket share of any one customer. They have an advantage in the, the sheer breadth and scope of what they sell um, because even their non-food um, sales had gone up as well, uh, particularly their clothing were rose by 13%. Uh, so that's, that's a lot yeah. um, and it shows a different shopping pattern by customers. <laughs> Lorcan, I don't know about you, but I'm totally, uh, I suppose, bemused by the fact that there's no official place that tells us how many data centres we have actually operating here in Ireland. And there's speculation in both uh, the Irish Examiner and indeed the Irish Times today about just how many there are. But does that not seem bizarre that we don't publicly know or there isn't some public body that can tell us how many data centres are actually a, in the country. It says a lot about um, about our approach to it over the last few years. Like I, I, I've written a lot about data centres over the last uh, few years. Um, and like we got a figure, I remember from Airgrid at the time of what it was, and, and we always used that figure uh, when we were reporting on it. And then I remember seeing uh, the energy regulator at a at a, a, an Oireachtas committee saying, oh, the figures being quoted in the media are totally wrong for data centre numbers. So as you say, the, even the regulator body, bodies don't even know exactly how many data centres Well, I'd say they the know, but they're not telling us. Is it not more of that? I, I know. I think it's just the way that they're, some of them are off-grid uh, and not connected directly to the state. So, and, and actually there's probably going to be less visibility because the policy in place at the minute is pushing data centre operators to go off-grid and not be connected to the power right. grid because we don't have enough electricity. <laughs> so to it's them. going to get worse. So there'll be more of these data centres. I was surprised that uh, we were just talking about it as well. I said, well, if AirGrid don't know in terms of connections, surely the planning authority know. They know how many planning applications they've had for data centres and how many have approved and surely how many have gone ahead. 
While the Irish Times reckoned that up to 82 data centres are operating in the Republic, but that's according to consultants. That's not according to any... Yeah, yeah uh, I, I think that figure is probably right. I mean, if you look at some of the big um, sites, uh, like there's multiple data centres on one site, you've got Grange Castle there, there's probably four or five of them in a little yeah. cluster, and mm-hmm. they, they, that's what they tend to do. And, and ninety over 90% of the data centres are in Dublin because the fibre network here is what they're after. Uh, and that's why the pr- the energy pressure is in the capital. If you yeah. th- And they're trying to get them to go to the west of Ireland and take the pressure off the capital, but they want to stay here where the fibre is. And, and so that's the, the ongoing battle. In, uh, Joan, some doubts uh, over planning... Uh, hitting the key site prices. Uh, a couple of examples, one in Fox Rock, one in Black Rock being cited, that basically, you know, uh, there's a serious difference in valuation between a site with planning and one without. Absolutely. And that is a huge reflection on the, how would I put it, the uncertainty around uh, and the time frame around applying for planning permission, getting planning and um, whether things are going to judicial review and um, whether they're getting, you know, the levels of appeals that you can go through. And I think that there was moves by and board Planola that changed, made some changes at the start of this year. And now you so you can't have objections brought by individuals or not. They have to be a, an actual organisation to get it to judicial review or something like that. I'm not exactly sure, but I know they've made some changes to try and put greater transparency in the process. But again, like you would have thought for Dublin, um, them not holding pro- value like this is quite staggering. To see one that goes from 35 million, the price drop is down to 18 million yeah. now, you know, in a prime location in Dublin. And developers will be looking at these uh, sites, Larkin, and seeing... Like this is going to make a lot of people kind of nervous, I'd suggest. Well, the market is very small in Dublin, so yeah. price discovery only requires a few transactions and then that sets the bar for the whole yeah. market generally. Uh, I think so, you're right. I mean, there's one side, you know, that's one side of the argument. The other is it would be that like people would be happy to see this sort of that it's taken the sting out of potential land speculation, people buying sites and flipping them and, and making, booking a profit in between. Um, and yeah, it's very, like, I mean, the numbers are stark as they say, like, you know, there's, um, if you have a property, a piece of land that has planning, the the value of it has gone down maybe twenty percent uh, over the last couple of years. But if you have a property without planning, it's down nearly fifty yeah. percent. So it's like it's phenomenal. Like you know, the planning thing really does count for an awful lot. It's Absolutely, worth, worth I think that says it all. And the but figures actually and particularly bear that with, out. Particularly with interest rates as they are, and the cost of building as it is, if you can't get moving quickly, yeah. you know, you're sinking money into that. It's losing. It, the clock is running from the start. John, when I have you there, uh, Cleary's uh, quarter shops opening. This is good news for retail on O'Connell Street. Some big names going in here. Yeah, this is really exciting. It's nice to see uh, something going back into that site and kind of regenerating a lot of what's going on around over on O'Connell Street. I think putting a premium retailer like Flannels in there is really interesting. Um, you know, it's just, the site has been, I suppose, underutilised for so long now. And uh, and I suppose levelling out the, the city a little bit, getting both sides of the river. So yeah, some really great businesses going in there and also space for smaller ones too. So between everything from um, Flannels, H&M, Press-Up are the big ones, but then there's also going to be some smaller independent retailers okay. going into, so that's a good sign. Logan, I wanted to pay a uh, tribute to uh, Christy Dignam. His funeral is happening as we speak here. Uh, we were, Anton was reporting on it earlier. But there's a lovely mural uh, which seems to have appeared overnight uh, in uh, in Georgia Street uh, and the corner of Georgia Street and Dame Street. So um, it, this is, we're told, in today's Irish Daily Mail. Mm, yeah, um, 
uh, yeah, as you say, a new mural on the corner of uh, of Dame Street and George's Street, um, and uh, you know, it just shows the kind of love in the city for Christy Dignam. I once seen him as on play live down in the Bridge House in Tullamore many, many years ago, and seen of many, seen of many concert. Yeah, so it's um, he a great performer, like a really iconic um, guy, and he and he had such a an attraction, you know. So it's uh, it's been. You know, obviously a sad week as well, but I mean, I, I think the the outpouring from people who, particularly in the city, like as well, he was yeah. such a, he was such a Dublin a Dubliner. Joan, your own thoughts on Christy? I suppose echoing all of that. I mean, it's been a very. It's just we kind of knew it was coming, and then when it actually does happen, you can't believe that he's died. But um, I think there will be many more tributes and murals. I think over the over the coming weeks and in years, I'm sure, in the same way as we've you know referenced people like Luke Kelly. Uh, throughout the city and fill in it. I think Chrissy Dignam certainly <clears throat> deserves. Joan Mulville from uh, Siemens and Lorcan Allen from the Business Post. Uh, enjoy your weekend. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.